All right. Um, so yeah, we were just kind of making fun of cheese before we started who, who's normally on here with me a lot of times. And, uh, you know, he's always hunting for a game and, uh, it sounds like you guys uh, obviously are a really good program and, um, uh, will give anybody a good game. So, uh, you know, you take over at the beginning of this season, right? Or yeah. Yeah. I was literally hired end of July. So I got here yeah. like a week before preseason started. Right. And they're coming off a, a national championship. Yep. So yep. no pressure at all. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe go into how you um, ended up at university of Chicago. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll go to just the start of my college coaching career. Cause it honestly isn't, isn't so first college coaching role was with Catholic University. I was an assistant there. It's the same head coach. He's been there for like eight, 18 years or something at Travis Beach. Um, so they pretty much like a perennial NCAA tournament team. So um, learned a lot from my one year with him. Was excited to go into my second year with them. And then uh, Davidson College, college opened up. So, you know, just being a young coach, wanted to try out, you know, coaching at Division One level. I, I played Division One. I. I wasn't, like, super accomplished or anything. I didn't go on to play, you know, professional or anything like that. But, um, you know, yeah, I was just eager to try, you know, the highest level supposedly that there is. And so, yeah, I went down to Davidson, um, spent three years there, which was fantastic. I was able to work with two different head coaches, the second one being Mike Babs, who he came from Chicago. So that's that's the connection there. Um and I was very fortunate that Baps decided to keep me on when he came on as a head coach, right? Because a lot of times mm-hmm. you see guys just like completely clearing house, bringing in their own assistants. So obviously forever grateful to him. Um, had a good working relationship with him for two years and then um, wanted to be a head coach, um, especially where I was at with life. I was like engaged and, you know, need to make more money and all this stuff. So um, there's an opening at Johnson and Wales, Charlotte, which is a program in the process of becoming Division Three. Um, so got to experience being a head coach there for two years and then University of Chicago opened up for what the third time in four years or something like that. But th- this is the first time I actually felt like ready to apply, you know, felt confident in my ability as a head coach, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I've been in a couple of different spots, division three, division one levels. Um, so yeah, I can speak a lot just to the recruiting at the different levels and high academic versus non academic and just all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, so Davidson and they're super high academic. Um, yep. Uh, so, yeah, to me, maybe differentiate between you know the process that you've picked up on um, at D one and and D three. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I remember when I first got into college coaching, I remember like going down and you know doing camps down in down in North Carolina. I think I did like UNC camp, NC State camp, just trying to you know make connections and all that stuff and. I don't remember exactly who it was. I want to say it was maybe the UNC staff, but I remember having a conversation kind of joking like, oh, yeah, like recruiting just must be so easy for you. And the guy looked at me straight in the face. He's like, no, it's not, because every kid that wants to come to us also wants to go to Clemson and Wake Forest and, you know, right. et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, you know, it, it's it's never easy anywhere to just get a kid, right? So that, that's where I'd kind of start. Um there are, I think, something like 1,200 men's soccer programs at the college level in, in the yeah. country, right? And so you're competing with internationals, JUCOs, people who can offer scholarships, people who can't. So so anyway, I know that's a – I'm rambling a little bit. But, yeah, so that, that was kind of like a first introduction to recruiting. Yeah. That, that was a little first introduction to recruiting. Is like it's not easy. So even, again, starting at Catholic where that program is making the NCAA tournament all the time, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of kids that say no to you because it is a vision three. 
you know, a lot of these division three schools tend to be private, right? So they're, they're expensive. There's a price tag on it. And again, you don't have athletic scholarships to give them. So, you know, you're kind of battling all those different things. So um, I think I learned early on that what your school has to offer, at least at the division three level is really important, right? There, there's certainly some programs that arguably transcend that, that a kid is just going to go there because of soccer. But again, the D3 level, probably not happening too often, no matter how successful you are, right? Um, so like a Catholic university, they had a fantastic engineering problem, program, excuse me. Um, and that's actually where I first came across uh, Justin Chisholm because uh, he had this kid He had this kid on his club team that I thought was fantastic. And he was like, yeah. Justin, Justin wanted a CMU and he wasn't going to go to CMU because he wanted, he wanted engineering. And we at the time, it was like, yeah, let's go. Right. He ended up picking Virginia Tech and he didn't even play soccer. He just yep. wanted Virginia Tech's engineering program. And it was like, oh my gosh, this kid's going to skip playing college soccer because that's how much he wants his academics. And then I think Jesus he, told that kid's story on here before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there yeah. you go. Like, yep. there's some of those kids that, yeah, it doesn't really matter how much you want them. They might pick another school because of the academic side, right? So, right. Um, so yeah, so like I experienced that first at Catholic and then going down to Davidson, I thought, oh, well, here's a D1. No kid will tell us no, but same thing. You're down in ACC territory and every local kid's like, yeah, Davidson, that's not good enough for us. Right. So, um, it's tough. You really do kind of have to find your niche at, at each school. Right. Um, so yeah, talk about, uh, so now you're at a, at University of Chicago and yeah. like we said in the very beginning, you know, it's, they just won a national championship. Um, so that's that comes with, you know, an inherent set of challenges. I'm sure, uh, it, you know, you're taking over for a coach who um, was a woman, and uh, you know, it was is a groundbreaking win and historic. And you know, obviously, those kids uh, talk about taking over a program where kids kind of have an expectation of you, and not just the kids, but the institution probably as well. And you know yeah. how you're filling those shoes. Yeah, I think I'll start with just saying, like, I've, as I mentioned, like, my time in college coaching is relatively short, right? So, you know, University of Chicago, this very prestigious program, did just win the national championship, went, went undefeated. Like, you would arguably, arguably look at that and be like, man, like, the person that's next going to get that job is, you know, coming from MLS or has been coaching D1 for 20 years or whatever it is. And so, you know, I'll start by saying, like, I've been very fortunate that I've had fantastic mentors along the way. So, obviously mentioned Travis at Catholic. Um, my first year at Davidson, I shared a, a broom closet for an office with Kelly Finley. He was the assistant coach at Davidson as well. And he was, he's, he just came from NC State being the head coach for seven years. So, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So now he's a Liberty head coach. And then Spear, who hired me at Davidson as a head coach, he'd been coaching D1 for 18 years. And then he was GM of a USL team, right? So I've, had all, I've been very fortunate to have all these different mentors. So the reason I bring that up is even once I got to Chicago, like, Pat Flynn gave me a call right away. I, I obviously had a connection with that. So with Babs, mm -hmm. Pat Flynn, then Sitch were the last three head coaches. And Sitch has been awesome. Like we, we text pretty decently frequently. Like anytime I kind of do have a question, I'll hit her up. But yeah. yeah, Pat and Sitch, like before the season, like told me about the roster, told me about the challenges, told me about the conference, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I've had a ton of support. And so it, it kind of goes back to like, you know, I got the question even in my interview process. Like, you know, are you, what do you think about taking over an championship team? And like, are you nervous? And honestly, wasn't. And it wasn't any sort of like, oh, like, I got it. I'm a good coach. It was more like, you know, yeah, I've been in these high level environments. Like, before I got into college coaching, I was with the DC United Academy. Like, that was fantastic. We were signing players to homegrown contracts. So I felt like, you know, like I've kind of been around it, right? I've been in these good environments. I've coached D1. 
I have coached the high academic kids at Davidson. It's like, I just feel like it's going to be familiar, right? Um, right? Obviously, as a competitive person myself, it's like, you want to coach the program at the top, right? Like, you want to coach the best players you can. So, yeah, just we, we kind of hit the ground running, just being really excited about it. And um, with me being hired so late, it wasn't about me coming in and trying to, like, implement stuff or change all this stuff. It was like, hey, you guys are coming off an undefeated season. I'm just going to come in and yeah, I'm going to learn how you guys do things and why you guys have had success. And I'll certainly implement things here and there. That's what I've tried to stick through throughout this season. Right. Um, so talk about, you know, your recruiting process there. Um, I know that you're just getting your feet wet. Like you've had to pay attention to the team and, and yeah. you know, your season and that sort of thing. But I imagine that, you know, as a season, hopefully it doesn't wind down too soon for you, but uh, you know, you're, 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 the, the end is, is in sight, uh, you know, whether you go all the way or not. Um, so you kind of have to start thinking about, you know, okay, these are the steps I'm going to take. And like you said, you've learned from some of the best along the way. So, you know, how, and also let me back into, you know, your conference is a national conference and I'm sure that you recruit all over the country, if not on a broader scale. So um, we had the Brandeis women's coach on and uh, she talked about UAA and, um, the University Athletic Association, right? Isn't that what it's called? But um, just to, you know, maybe talk about the conference a little bit and then your recruiting and, you know, strategies that you will implement that you, that you want to share. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wish there was like a secret to it. So I don't think anything I'll say has given anyone too much of a competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah like the UAA, as you, you probably heard from the Brandeis coach, was, I mean, it's a, it's a high academic conference in itself. And there's obviously tiers within that. Um, so, you know, I, I've talked to, even talking to with the Brandeis head coach, I remember specifically before the game, kind of chat with him. He was like, yeah, you know, we can get players in here that you can't. Right? So like, there's still certainly, certainly levels of it. I know like Carnegie Mellon right now has the number one cybersecurity in, in, the, in the, in the world. So like we actually have a grad student in our program who came to us from Princeton and he was between us and Carnegie Mellon. Um, excuse me, I said cybersecurity, computer science, sorry, computer uh-huh. science. He didn't get into Carnegie Mellon's computer science, and so and yeah. he got into ours. And ours is still, I don't, I don't know, like top six or something like that. But, yeah. you know, that was his choice. He's like, I'm coming from Princeton. He was an all-Ivy League defender. I'm going to one of these UAA schools, right? So, um, yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to, I mentioned, like, a kid might pick a school because of academics. It's also, we're only going to be able to get in certain kids that admissions does want. So, like, you mentioned national recruiting, you know, I won't, I won't share too much to get in trouble, but like there's specific like states that like we're supposed to target. Right. And, you know, it's not like every player has to come from there. There's always exceptions. There's all this stuff, but it's like, Hey, like we realize in admissions, we don't have many people from this area of the country. So can you kind of look at that? Right. So, you know, we're receiving information from admissions as well. You know, there's, we're in this, this period right now since COVID where we're test optional, like a lot of universities are, Still doesn't necessarily mean that admissions wants every single kid to be testosterone in your recruiting class, right? It, it's possible, but it's, you know, it is a back and forth and it is a, you know, again, when you look at the UAA, like, yeah, there's a lot of kids we're talking to in recruiting classes that are like, yeah, you know, I am also talking to an NYU or an Emory or whatever it is. Uh, a lot of kids we're talking to are also talking to these, right? So uh, the academics, you know, I, I mentioned it with like the ACCs, like the ACCs aren't like, competing against each other. It's the same for, for the academics like Babson. We've been spoken about players like, you know, Davidson decided that's on the last minute. We were like all in. I was like, let's go. Let's go get yeah, up. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of crossover for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So from the, the recruits perspective, you know, um, what, what timeline are you guys recruiting on? Is it typical D3 or, um, I remember uh, talking to the Washington League coach, and they're usually a, a year ahead because of academics. So, are you guys in the same boat as that? You know, where are you guys on the timeline? We are because because of our so like we actually finished our twenty twenty four class um, near the end of September. Um, okay. I think like we officially kind of committed the last day, like first week of October or whatever. Um, yeah, it was super early, and that is because of the academics. So, like our one you know, application deadline is November 1st, right? So if I wanted another kid, we have two more days to get him. There's obviously still early action for that and stuff. But, you know, for the kids you really want, you basically have to get them in before November 1st here. Like I remember being at Davidson, I think the deadline to apply was like January 4th, right? So yeah, those high academics, you are always kind of working like arguably, yeah, a year in advance. So that was surprising to me. Um, You know, definitely a challenge with me coming in in August and, you know, getting to know the current team, seeing where their recruiting board was at, you know, who Sitch was talking to, who the assistant coaches were talking to, even kids that I was talking to at my previous school. There were a lot of them that were good soccer players. I was like, all right, well, how much wiggle room do we have with academics? Or, hey, are these kids still the high academic caliber? So um, it was definitely like a – it took up a lot of my focus, I'll say that, during preseason of trying to do the recruiting and get to know the current team. But like I said, we're at the point that we we did get a full class in, so I feel good about it. Right. So for kids who are, you know, you know, they want to go to University of Chicago or, or a school of that ilk, um, you know, what should be their strategy reaching out to you guys? You know, what's the timeline? Um, you know, what, how should they communicate with you guys? Um, you know, maybe walk through that process. Yeah, I think it is just it's a year in advance, right? So like the kids that we're looking at are the 2025s. And so everyone's gearing up for the winter showcases, right? And like you said, we hope that our, our season continues all the way into the first weekend in December when our national championship is. So maybe that means we, we miss, you know, the first big UCNL showcase of the year, but it would obviously be worth it. Um, yeah, so that's what we're looking at. That, that's kind of like my go-to response with the 2025s that I like in your video is have send me your UCNL showcase schedule, schedule, send me your MLS Next showcase schedule. I know the Phoenix MLS Next Fest is coming up here soon. So, yeah, pretty much from, you know, November through – I guess February and I know like Jeff cup in Virginia, I think is a little bit later. Maybe that's like April, May timeframe. So yeah, I mean, you know how it goes having, having a son that's doing it. I mean, pretty much this whole winter timeframe where we go and showcases really frequently. So, you know, at our level, we admittedly are mostly targeting the MLS next and ECNL levels, um, you know, pretty similar to like a division one. Um, I don't think there's like, you know, too often that we're maybe going to look at like a regional league kid right now, just, you know, where the level of talent is within our program. Um, we want to like watch their video and see, but in terms of showcases we're going to go to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to target. Gotcha. Um, so what do you like to see? You know, I get this question all the time, so it's always valuable to ask and get a response. Um, like, what do you like to see in an email? What kind of, what level of detail, um, you know, what are, what are the common characteristics of an email that you get that are of value to you? Yeah. I think the first thing to start with is just recognize it does need to be concise. So, you know, schools like us, you know, Davidson, I don't remember exactly Catholic because I wasn't super involved with recruiting there, but like, you know, we're getting close to maybe like 40 emails a day. Right. Um, I can't imagine what it is for the ACCs. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of kids will send a very, very thorough email and it's like, you know, you appreciate it, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to read through all of it, right? It is kind of you're skimming for the main facts. So it is like, 
you know, what year are you graduating? What are your academics, right? So if I see a, a kid says like, hey, I have a 2.5, it's like, all right, probably not. I'm probably going to respond and, and push you somewhere else for you, Chicago. But yeah, your academics, um, obviously your highlight video, what position you play, um, and then what club team. I think I forgot to mention that one. So like really just just the basics, right? I want to know, hey, this kid's a left back. He plays for this ECNL team. He has a 4.3 GPA. And boom, now let me watch this highlight video, right? Like I don't really need to see too much else from that. A lot of times a kid will attach like a profile. So if I want to see more information, you know, click the profile. Okay, here's the extracurriculars. Here's the high school he goes to. You know, here's his SAT score, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so just the basics. Um, and then we're always going to ask for more information if we want it, right? So um, I think kids a lot of times think that like maybe if I put this like perfect email, I'm going to almost like convince the coach in this first email. And that's not really the case. Like your highlight video is going to be the thing that makes us want to respond most often, you know? Right. Um <clears throat> What about like uh, you mentioned that there, you know, your administration, there are certain states that that uh, are more likely to be admitted. Um, it's just yeah. I mean, that's the nature of college in general. Yeah. But um, so how does a kid ask that question? Um, you know, how do they dig for the necessary information to see if it's going to be a good fit for them or, you know, what are their odds and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, I think I'll say like there's the the real the thing i've really liked about you chicago is how much admissions is willing to work with us and that's like very sincere um, and the reason i know it's sincere is because again I was at Davidson and it's been three years since i've been at Davidson, so i'm trying to, trying to like slam that thing but i remember Davidson was like pretty like black or white it was like hey a kid has to have you know at least like a 4.3 gpa and at least three ap's and three core subjects and i was like if you didn't meet that like we're not even having a discussion whereas you chicago is like okay, hey, the kid's at a 3.9, but, you know, he's at this high school that's really prestigious and, you know, whatever, right? Like, they're they're willing to talk to us about it. So um, I know, like, UChicago does enjoy national recruiting, right? So I think there was, like, a three-year stretch that the program didn't even have anyone from Illinois. And I don't know if that was necessarily on purpose or not. This year we do have two freshmen that are, that are here from Chicago, but, you know, even stuff like that. Like, I would never tell the kid, like, hey, you Chicago isn't looking for any more local kids. They have plenty. It's a, you know, let, let's see kind of where you fit in. But yeah. on the whole, it might be a little bit harder for an in-state kid to get in yeah. to you Chicago, which again, when you think about like your normal D3, that's not the case. Like when I was down in North Carolina, every D3 there was 80% their roster was North Carolina kids. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting how every place does it. Yeah. Now, do you guys, um, do you guys recruit internationally at all? We do. Um, we, we have a couple on the roster right now. Um, the reason I'm kind of like, you know, eh, about it is I personally just don't have a whole ton of experience with recruiting internationally. So like for me again, like I know the level of ECNL, MLS next, all that stuff. So it's like, you know, if it's an agency that I've worked with before, then great. I can maybe trust the person or whatever. But that for me personally, I'll admit it, that, that film was just so tough for me to analyze, you know, I'm watching it. It's like, you know, this is like Bournemouth's Academy and I'm watching and I'm like, okay, so I've heard of Bournemouth, but I'm watching this level and like, I don't think that grass has been mowed in like three weeks and <laughs> he just ran past. It looks like he's, you know, not a soccer player. So it's just, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. 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 I guess uh, it's a known, fa a known entity when you have ECNL, you know exactly what you're getting, um, yeah. which is kind of, I guess their strength, huh? Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe go into some of the things that, you know, we were talking before we hit record and, you know, there's, there's some, uh, well, I can't remember now the word you used, you know, not myth, but, you know, just kind of, you know, things that, that probably need to be, uh, probably need to be dispelled a little and, and, um, 
and that sort of thing. Yeah, let me actually, not sure, sorry, I should have already had this pulled up. I'll, I'll pull up my kind of little go-to cheat sheet for when I'm giving some recruiting talks um, just to kind of hit a couple of the main points. So let's see. Um, you know, I'm assuming anyone watching your podcast is probably playing at a certain level, so they actually are committed to going to college. You know, when I was working in the club game, you would across, you would come across some kids that it's like, it's easy to say, like, oh, I want to go pro or I want to play in college, and then they kind of realize what the commitment actually is, and it's like, well, you can't also do a fraternity and also go to every football game and also go home on the weekends. Like, you know, it's yeah. a certain level of commitment, which, again, I assume most of your listeners know that, but um, probably Thank some of the biggest, sure. go ahead. Make no assumptions. Um, I, I don't think that that's actually, and no criticism of them. I just don't, I think they're coming here sometimes for answers, right? So yeah. I think that that's super valuable information. Yeah, I think we'll, I will just kind of touch on that a little bit more than like when you're in season, no matter what level. So again, JUCO, Division Two, whatever, um, you're with the team, you know, we'll say six days a week because the NCAA does require that you give them one off day per week, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, you're going six days a week in season. You're dealing with midterms. Again, you can't really like go home on the weekends, if, even if you are local. You know, study abroad might be difficult, probably more possible like a division three than a division one level. But yeah, there's just all those like little things to consider, right? So like, you know, us for you, Chicago, we hope to push deep into the NCAA tournament. I, I, I'm a bunch of parents now, you know, like, hey, like, when can we book our flights for Thanksgiving? When would be safe? And it's like, yeah, it's tough, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a tough, like, they're going to go home for Thanksgiving, don't get me wrong, but like, it's not the full week break that the rest of the students get, yeah. right? So there is that overall commitment, right? Like we're tracking your diet. A lot of programs will do stuff in the weight room in season. So it just is, you know, it's a lot bigger commitment than just, hey, let me get out of my car, play soccer, get back in my car, right? There's just yeah. so much more that goes into it. So good, good to touch on the start. Yeah. And from there, just like the differences between the levels, right? You know, I'm I'm a little bit biased because I'm coaching Division Three, but, you know, again, having played Division One, coach Division One, this is not, you know, third division three school i'll put it in quotes since johnson wales is in you know it's just interesting seeing what what kids want and i was the same way like i was very stubborn to play division one right but like again it really does have to have to be like what is the fit right so again if you're looking at the high academics like that's going to steer you away from a lot of schools right you might legitimately only be looking at the ivies and these threes and then from there ivies don't have athletic money so now you are looking at like okay i'm going to get athletic money anywhere who has the best financial need base aid. So, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit again. Um, Keep going. Keep going. I'll, I'll go over kind of a, a brief overview of the levels in my mind and try to make it as unbiased as possible. I do think Division One overall is the best talent. I don't think anyone w- would would refute that. doesn't mean there aren't D3 schools that could be to D1 or D2s that could be to D1, et cetera. But um, D1 typically is probably going to be the biggest commitment. They have the longest spring season typically the most amount of travel, largest budgets, you know, all, all that positive stuff. Um, Division two and NAIA for me are very heavily international, right? Mm-hmm. You could obviously say that about, you know, certain programs at every level, but um, those two also have very different recruiting rules. Like you could have a 28 year old freshman at Division two school. Right? So if you're an 18 year old coming out of high school, you know, you're going to be stuck on a reserve roster, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I should touch on what reserve rosters are. So reserve roster is um, basically what it sounds like almost like a JV team. That's sometimes what they call it, the varsity team and the JV team. Um, so it's just something good to look into and have that honest conversation with the coach of like, hey, what do you expect my role to be freshman year? And they might say, hey, we're going to have you on a developmental team. And then you look on the 
semester and you see, dang, there's like 67 kids in this program, right? So there's research you can do on, on those levels. Um, so D1s and D3s don't typically have reserve rosters. Again, every now and then you'll come across one, but just something where the kid themselves will want to do that research. Um, biggest thing in Division three again, is no athletic scholarships. So that tends to make a lot of the recruiting, like kind of regional uh, you think typically like some lower budgets, things like that. Again, it doesn't mean it's not still very good soccer, right? Just just working with what they have. And then um, JUCO, I think, gets a bad rap. But I think one of my favorite things to say about, about junior colleges, I think it was 2016 was the first time that a player went straight from a JUCO to, to playing professionally. So um, hmm. you, can go, you can go pro from every single level. I think that's probably the biggest misnomer is like, oh, I have to go play D1. Right. It's not the case, right? And even D1 kids, it's – you know, in the U.S., we've become like a minor league baseball system at this point where very few of the draftees in the MLS draft are going straight to the MLS team, right? A lot of them are starting with the USL team and working their way up. So, again, yeah. like what's the actual overall grind that you want to put in? Do you um, do you happen to know like uh, um, like how many kids come out of JUCO into transfer into a D3, 2, or 1 school? That's or a great question. Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the numbers, but like just thinking about it logically – if you say that every JUCO has 20 kids on it, which is not the case, there's more. Let's just say yeah. 20. And I don't know how many JUCOs there are. I think there's there might be 350 or something like that. Um, you know, 350 times 20, whatever. Yes, there's no way all those players are, are going on to a Division sure. One school, right? So mm-hmm. even I, w- I would think of it as the same percentages as like, hey, I'm a top kid. You know, I'm playing ECNL, MLS Next, whatever it is, like – your whole team probably isn't going division one, right? Maybe there's like four or five kids at the top that are It's probably the same at like your better JUCOs. They might be sending two, three, four kids to a D1 and the rest are, who knows, maybe they're going to a D2, maybe their career's done. So I think yeah. the common thing for me, and again, this isn't to hate on the JUCOs, like it's a great option. You can play at high level. It's normally super affordable. It can potentially move you on to, to a higher level. Um, yeah. But the reality is, is you have to go through the recruiting process twice, right? So every now and then you'll get a kid that like skips on a four-year school's offer to pick a JUCO. And it's like, man, you are gambling, right? That doesn't mean you can't pay off. But if you have a four-year school that wants you, that's a much safer bet for me. <laughs> right, right. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I interrupted you uh, going through I mean, your list. Yeah, I think, I think the last thing to say just about like all the different levels is like even if there is athletic money, scholarships in soccer are rarely full nowadays. And, and there's probably other coaches that would be like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm sure there are some ACCs that will still throw a lot of money at like an international or whatever. But, you know, in general, it's such a depth-based sport, right? And the most scholarships you can have is 9.9. So, you know, you think about soccer, if you want to have a roster of 18 quality players, maybe that means 18 guys are on half a ride, right? But you know it's not going to work out that perfectly. So maybe it's three, four guys on 75%, a couple guys were just paying for your book. So, I think that's also a big one for like the parents, right? They think, you know, hey, we've spent all this money for my, my kid to play club at a high level for all these years. We expect him to get a full ride. And it's like, right. it's not really full rides for soccer. No, no, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely a big myth that, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to get a full ride. Like, it's so rare. Um, but yeah. what is true is that, um, you know, a private school, and I'm not saying University of Chicago, but, you know, I, there are a lot of private schools that can make things really affordable um, yeah. Yeah. through their aid-based, uh, need-based aid. Um, yeah. t- talk about how to research that and um, how how you use that in recruiting, potentially. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the money side is so important, again, at every school, no, no matter what level you're at. So, you know, there's been... 
you know, families in the past I've talked to that, you know, love the family, love the kid, they're all in on it. And then you get to the finish line. Sorry, it's just too expensive, right? So, you know, as college coaches, you know, I've learned try to have that conversation as early as possible. Um, you know, the families need to know the price tag. And it's maybe not the first thing you say to them, right? There is something to be said for building a little relationship first, right? But um, I do think it's important on the player side as well. Like I've, I've gotten the question pretty frequently of like, hey, if we know that like our kid doesn't need scholarships, should we like let the coach know that? And for me, I would say 100% because again, like we're evaluating all these different so if we really like a player but we know for a fact or let's say let's say we really like a player and we know for a fact he's a full pay kid we're gonna have no problem getting him into the school for us that's kind of a home run versus again we put in maybe six months of recruiting work and then it's like we really won't know until he applies and then the financial need to save package comes back like we're kind of taking a gamble right so right. um you know if the family knows they can they can provide like that's something good to tell the coach other families, which I think was more your question. I mean, every school does have an entire financial aid office, right? So setting up phone calls with them, you can certainly try to coordinate it through the coach. A lot of times the coaches are actually told to stay out of those conversations so we don't accidentally put our foot in our mouth, right? So if you tell a kid like, oh yeah, based on your family's income, you guys should get like full aid here. Here's the financial aid office number. Have fun. And then financial aid's like, actually. <laughs> um, so a lot of times they actually advise us to stay out of those. So you know, again, at the Division three level where we don't have money to offer, we're going to push them to those departments and say, hey, here's, you know, Sarah. And Sarah will take good care of you talking through this with you. Um, but yeah, but every single school has different financial based aid, right? Mm-hmm. So fortunately for us at University of Chicago, we are a new blind, right? So we're going to match any any domestic players need. I and mean, that's where, again, where it gets a little tricky with internationals. It's not as cut as dry. So you know, again, for us in Chicago, we're going to put a lot of more time and energy versus the domestic players versus the internationals. Right. So walk through the process of figuring out, you know, getting aid. And um, is that solely based on FAFSA? Is there, does each individual school have their own way of determining? Um, just walk through that process, please. Yeah, yeah. So each, well, I guess I shouldn't say each school. Most schools should have a net price calculator. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can literally Google it. Like you could type in University of Chicago net price calculator and it'll come up. And as long as you are honest with the information that you're, the numbers that you're putting in, right, you're being honest about what your tax return was, all that stuff. Um, it'll tell you what the expected cost of the school is. So for those families that tell us, hey, money might be tight, that's the first thing we do is say, hey, go for yeah. the net price calculator. It takes out a price. It says, hey, we're expecting you to have to contribute 25000 to the family per year. And then we have that conversation. Hey, what do you think? What do you think based on the calculator? Say, yeah, it might be tight. I don't know. Is there scholarships available? And that's when we would say, hey, there's offices, phone number. Go ahead and have a conversation with them. So um, for us, like our net price calculator does include that financial need based aid. So it, it does give the family the info of hey, this is how much aid you're probably going to be getting from the school. Um, I don't know if that's the case at every school, to be honest. Um, yeah, FAFSA certainly does play a factor. I know the big thing with FAFSA this year is that it got pushed back, right? So FAFSA numbers won't get released till like the first week of January now. I don't know if you heard that, Scott. No. Uh-uh. It's crazy. So I think I think in years past, it got released around like mid-November. So again, right around when like showcases are starting, you can feel really good about offering a kid of like, hey, you got your full package. It's November 15th. Let me know by December 1st. And now they don't even get the information until like January 1st. So you're committing kids in September, but you need them to fill out the FAFSA 
it doesn't potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, like doesn't it doesn't add up, right? Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. that's 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 where for us again, like being need blind for University of Chicago is huge because they do see the aid that they're going to get. Um, or again, you know, the wealthy families where the price tag isn't even going to be a factor. But yeah, like my the school I came from, Johnson and Wales, like my assistant coach took over that program, so him and I still talk like weekly and. It's one of the big things he's talked to me about. He's like, I got all these players I want to offer, and every single one of them is like, I have to wait till basketball. So it's like his hands are almost tied until January. See, so yeah, it's it's tough. And again, that that ties back into like your your listeners, like their timeline, right? So they feel all this pressure of like, oh man, I had a teammate just committed in August, and now you're telling me I have to wait till January potentially to receive any offers. But that's why it's like everyone's timeline is so different. Like you, it's so easy to play the comparison game, but like. Right. If your family is is you know in a tough place financially, like yeah, that means you're maybe not going to be able be able to accept an offer in the fall. So yeah, you got to do well in the showcases, and you got to stay on it with these coaches. You got to be honest with them. Say, coach, like you're my number one choice. You're my top three choice. I just have to wait till FAFSA. Like you gotta you gotta be eager, I guess, to keep the conversation going. Yeah, yeah, um, that's uh, that's really unfair. Uh, I yeah. guess when you yeah, very, think about. Yeah. Um, I think I think unfair is the best word for their entire recruiting process. To be honest, <laughs> like, like I just I mean, w- like we're all based on our own experiences, right? And like mm-hmm. I remember my recruiting days, like it was a nightmare. You know, I probably, yeah. I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt my status here, but I probably only heard from like two of every ten coaches I reached out to, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, I and again that stuck with me. So like I do my best to respond to every single kid. Every now and then I won't. Every now and then there's an email that's like so far off. It's like. I'm not even going to respond to this one. But, like, for the most part, I let a kid know, like, hey, you know, you're probably a little bit lo- below our level, but, you know, kind of we'll let you know or whatever. Or like, hey, you'd be a good kid for us to evaluate at camp. Or, hey, your academics just really aren't what we're looking for. Like, I do my best just because it's similar to the interview process. Like, when you never hear back from, from the people, like, yeah, you're just yeah, sitting yeah. there for, like, two months. Like, well, maybe they're going to email me today. It's horrible. Right. And you never know. You might end up playing against that kid, and he's going to have a game of his life because you never hundred percent. Yeah. But, yeah. but, no, I mean, in all seriousness, like, yeah, talk about like a kid doesn't hear back. Um, how should they interpret that? Um, you know, they shouldn't take it personally, a because they, you know just from their own, you know, uh, uh, mental health. I guess is is the only was what comes to mind, but that's not exactly right either. But you know, just from their own growth and and you know, just if you don't hear back, move on. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna guess is your answer because. If you're trying to write back to everyone, you're kind of the exception to the to the rule, probably. Um, so maybe talk about you know how a kid should take it if they don't hear back from a coach, and that you know what should they do. So I'll answer it in two ways. One, I think I wouldn't necessarily say give up right away. Actually, I would say like within reason follow up. And so what I mean by that is like if. And I'll, I'll give you an example of where it's worked too. But like, let's say you're in the middle of your club season. So you're playing a game every single weekend, maybe two games every single weekend. So that means every, let's say month, you have at least four more matches of highlight video to send, right? So if you're constantly putting each month, you're putting together just a two minute highlight video. And so each month you're following up with like, hey coach, you know, no, I haven't heard you, but I am still interested. Here's my most recent highlights. I scored three goals in four games. So we'd love for you to take a look. Like the reason I bring that up is there was a kid I recruited to my last school that that it was that story. Like the first time I saw his highlight video, I was like, nah. And he stayed with it. Like each month he emailed me, and then literally it was by month like 
five or six, I was, I kept watching. I don't know why I kept watching, <laughs> but eventually, but eventually I was like, this kid's got something. I was like, let me go back to his other ones. And then I told him like, Hey, let me know the next showcase. Like, let me come see you play in person. And we ended up recruiting him and he's, he's a freshman there now and he's getting decent minutes. So, um, you know, and obviously that's the exception as well. Right. So I would say within reason. So like if you go through an entire season, so maybe you've sent like five, six emails between, you know, july to december and they've never responded like okay move on but you know you, you never know i do think again like especially if you are growing as a player like if you know for a fact you're doing well or maybe you legitimately grew like athletically <laughs> you right. Punches, right like I, I would say try to stick with it within reason and then the second way i'll answer that question is i would argue that you should always respond to a personalized email from a coach um, mm-hmm. the reason i say that again my own experience the school that I got recruited to play at Division One, I, I ended up loving it, right? And so, again, like, there's 1,200 options. There's no way for you to know about all the schools that are out there. So everyone knows the Duke, Stanford, Virginia, whatever it is. Um, but there are so many good schools out there. that like, if the coach is taking the time to send you a very personalized, like, hey, Johnny, I saw you at, you know, I saw you play at blah, blah, blah Park on Saturday. The goal you scored in the first half like, completely changed the game. And it's like, okay, this coach is actually interested in me because – guys will get a bunch of emails from like, Hey, saw you play. Here's my camp info. Right. But again, if it's like personalized, like it's almost like let yourself be surprised by what that school has to offer. Like it might, it might be better than NC state. You never know. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it's more importantly, it could be a better fit, you know, than NC state. And that Uh, goes into like the whole, like, I like to call it status versus starter. So again, like I, I had an older brother that played Division One. As soon as that happened, I was set on playing Division One. Nothing yeah. could persuade me otherwise. So I was that kid that ignored the personalized emails from D threes. I probably would have loved that at D three level, but um, I was so set on, on going Division One. I, I was, you know, I was stubborn to it. Um, I kind of forget where I was going with that point. But like, yeah, like there, there, there are better, better kids out. Sorry, status versus starter. Yeah, yeah. Status versus start is the idea of like you just want the status of hey I played Division One right and it's nice to say it's you can always say that when you're 30 years old you can say yeah I played at Division One school and you have to go into specifics or <laughs> is it again like this coach is recruiting me to be like the stud he's like hey I got a center back graduating this year you remind me a ton of him I would love for you to come in and step right away and like year four yeah. I expect you to be our captain right it's like so it's like what experience are you gonna get at the college level right. Yeah, and it's important to give that, you know, from the recruits' uh, perspective, to give that a level of research, right? I mean, understand what the school is. You know, if the school is writing you to to say what you just said, that, you know, I want you to replace my star center back, then um, you owe them the same amount of research and understand what the school is and say, you know, hey, coach, uh, you don't have engineering, so um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know that I want to go there. Um, so understand all that, you know. Uh, but we also talk about on here, you know, like the doing things for the Instagram post. You know, uh, I I just got recruited, you know, to be a D one player. You know, that's like it's it really eats up cheese. Uh, you know, uh, where they put D one before they even put the school. You know, when they make a post. So um, as a as a guy who's been involved in D three coaching for a long time, it eats at him. So. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's important to just – that's a great way to put it is status versus starter. Um, and then again, like I, I am biased to it, but it does tie into what are other kids on your team doing because everyone gets so caught up with that. You know, it's like like NASA Top Hat. I don't know if you're familiar with that club. They're based out of Atlanta. They, they have like eight 
Texans in Division One from their top team last year. Like their their team was awesome, right? And I think there was like one kid that went Division Three, and so like it's very easy for you know those kids that are now roster number nine through sixteen or whatever to be like, oh, why I have to go to Division One school? My whole team is, but like I, I used to coach with the Charlotte Independents and. Charlotte Independence was very good about like, they would crank out D one kids, D two kids, whole lot of D three kids, and like it's not hating on, on those kids or Charlotte Independence or anything, but like I can't tell you how often it was that those kids would come back and it'd be year one, year two, and they're transferring and they're like, yeah, it's just not what I thought. And so again, like I'm biased, I'm coaching at the Division three level, but if you know you can be a stud at Division three versus the coaches telling you, hey, you might play by your junior year, so again, like what do you want out of your experience? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have to imagine that you had kids on your Davidson roster that didn't get on the field very much who could have sure, done really sure. well at where you are now, yeah, you know, yeah, or at yeah, a D3 sure. school. But, um, you know, I don't know. You get offered a spot at Davidson, you probably, you know, just from a, a school standpoint should. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot so of we, so we, I would say we talk about that a lot, like with the Ivies, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, University of Chicago is one of the best academic schools in the country, no problem. But, mm-hmm. You know, if a kid has an opportunity to go to Yale, Princeton, whatever it is, like arguably the word Yale is more household than the University of Chicago, right? So it's, again, th- those families can get caught up in that stuff. And I'll tell you, so in the 2024 recruiting class, there was a kid I really wanted. I won't, I, you know, I won't say his name or what school he picked mm-hmm. or anything like that, but um, the Ivy League team, the, the, the coach sent him my way and they're like, hey, we're, we're probably going to pass on this kid. And it was between us and that Ivy League. And the kid was like still set. Like we offered him, we had him on a visit. And the whole communication the whole time was like, Coach, you are my, he was very blunt. He was like, you are my number two. I'm still so excited about it. I love you in Chicago. You are my number two though, because if this Ivy League offers me and we had to take it. And I was trying to be really careful of like, a, you do realize they sent you my way, right? <laughs> but like he, he was still holding on. And literally at like the 11th hour, I mean, like I, I had to put a deadline on it eventually, right? So I put a deadline on it. Actually, he called me that Friday night at like 9 p.m. at night. And he was like, hey, that idea they did decide to offer me. And I was like, okay, well, like, that's your dream school. So awesome. And I was like, well, what was the conversation like? And then he's like, yeah, the coach did say, like, he doesn't really expect me to play, but I just, I couldn't pass up on a Division One Ivy League offer. That's the way he told me. And I was like, yeah. all right. Like, you know, so like, you can't, again, like, you talk about fit. It's like, and maybe for that kid's family, like, again, like, having Ivy League education was the most important thing, right? So, yeah. You know, I, I try not to get when I when I was when I was younger, early on in my coaching career, I would get so upset when a kid, yeah, I wouldn't email back or pick another school. Now it is like, all right, man, like, hey, best of luck to you. There's a transfer portal for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah. So, talk about the portal. Like, how much of that are you tapping into, and and you know, what are you looking for when you're looking at, at guys in the portal? Yeah. So I. Trying to think. I guess I technically was still at Davidson when when the portal still happened, um, but I wasn't. I was mostly involved with recruiting, like in the sense of I would just go to showcases and, and kind of gather names and have initial conversations. So I wasn't like committing kids to Davidson, so that was much more like on the head coach. So um, the reason I say that is my experience with the transfer portal has basically been walking at the Division three level. I can tell you, no one's going to transfer portal to transfer Division three. They all they all expect to kind of move up a level, or you know, if the division one go to another division one school. It's re- it's really interesting how many kids they expect to essentially move up through the portal, and it's you know it doesn't make sense logically, but it's the kids thinking like, okay, you know, I should have been. I keep going back to NC State. I'm sorry, I, I actually enjoy that program. I have nothing against them, but you know, they think like, hey, I went to Eastern Illinois, 
and I'm not playing for them. So now I am going to go to NC State. It's like, well, you weren't playing on another D1 roster. Why do you think another, you know, a higher D1 would take you? So um, it's interesting, but there's a lot of kids that think that way. So, like, the reason I say that is they pretty much ignore emails from Division Three. Maybe they'll be kind enough to answer. So I personally don't go on the portal and, like, oh, let me look up all these kids. If the kid reaches out to me, I'll entertain the conversation of, like, yeah, tell me about yourself. Let me look up your bio. Let me look up your stats. But again, it's, it's tough. Like that's why I enjoy these recruiting talks is like, you do really want to get it right the first time. Um, and my brother and I both played division one, we transferred to different division one schools. So like I've gone through it myself and like, it's tough. But again, it's like you're going through the recruiting process all over, but mm-hmm. this is a very, very unfair way to put it. But it's the best way I can put it. When you're looking to transfer, if you're unfair, you be like damaged goods right like if things were so perfect at that school you wouldn't be looking to transfer so like there's always some sort of reason so it's like was there an injury did they recruit over you did you not mesh with the coach or right. was it a miss in the first place are you not a division one player so there's like there's all these kind of doubts that we would have to check all those boxes and be like you know what this kid just made the wrong mistake and he's awesome let's bring him in and that could very well be the case but that's just so much more kind of leg work than a mm-hmm. freshman coming out who's all in on you, Chicago, right? So um, it's tough. And again, that's not to like scare anyone away from the transfer portal, right? Um, but it's just you want kids to get it right the first time is the way I'll sum it up. For sure. And, you know, that goes back again to doing their research and understanding yeah. what a school is. And, um, yeah. you know, if, if they're fortunate enough to get, you know, fairly far along and making the visit and yeah. having conversations, you know, not just with the coach, but with the players and, you know, understanding what the team is like, what you're like as a coach and your staff is like. And, um, you know, especially with, you know, you guys in the UAA, I mean, that's a, that's pretty, pretty tough, you know, travel wise. And, you know, you're doing a lot of homework on planes, I'm guessing, and, and, and hotel rooms and, and that sort of thing. So it takes a lot of discipline. You know, you talked early on in the conversation about commitment and sacrifice and, You know, you're living in a really cool city in Chicago and, you know, you, I don't know how much you get to see it, especially when you're in season. But um, I imagine, uh, you know, you got to understand that, you know, your first commitment is to soccer or to school, then to soccer uh, at a place like that. Um, yeah, yeah, 100 yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah, you're right. It, it all ties in. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I had kids like my last school it was in the middle of Charlotte. It was all I mean, literally, we were on the same block as the Panther Stadium. I mean, it was it was so cool. And yeah, very, very rarely, but every now and then I'd get a kid who'd just be like, yeah, just it's not for me. I don't want a big city. You know, like, you know they want like the traditional campus deal. And again, yeah. like it's, it's what do you want out of experience? So I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said like you want to talk to the current players, right? So, yeah. you know, if it's a new coach, maybe you lean a little bit more on what the new coach is saying. He's going to have a vision for the program. He's trying to build it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's a coach that's been there for a while, like you do want to hear from the players. And that's even what we hear the most from players is during their visit. They want to spend time with the team as possible. They don't want us to walk around for multiple hours, right? So the reason yeah. I bring that up is I think there are, you know, you said it, Scott, like they have to do their own research, right? So you have to see, like, yeah, is there a player graduating at your position? Are you dealing with seven different center backs? Are you, you know, are you domestic but the entire roster is international? Are you, you know, five foot seven, but all of their strikers are six foot two, right? So there's like, there's all this little, little detail you can look into, even the idea of like, do they play freshman, right? So like, it's more legwork, but you can look up the box score from every single game and you can see like, hey, this program typically redshirts every freshman versus I can go somewhere and play right away. So there, there's all that research that you can do on your own. 
Um, but yeah, when you get on campus, it's, yeah, I want to get the players opinions. And, um, I think that all is very telling there, there's just stuff where you can like read between the lines again. Like what is it they're telling you about your playing time? Is he talking about the strength players or is he talking about the team that's going through like a tough stretch? Right. I think it's, it's yeah. really always interesting getting players on campus when you have a home game. So it's a very common recruiting thing. I would argue it's a huge gamble. If we play horribly that game, we might lose our top recruit. If we play fantastic, we might sign the kid on the spot. So, like, it's it's a little bit of a gamble. But then after that game or even, you know, that night, that weekend, how's the team responding to it? Can you go to their training session the next day and see what what their body language is? Can you talk to the guys, talk to the guy who's sitting in the bench, see what his experience is with the program? So, yeah, it's it's a uh, – I would argue, like, it's a lot more work than I think student, the students think it is going on campus visit. Like you're not really supposed to go there and just like, Oh, let me just have fun. Right. Like that's part of it. You want to enjoy the experience, but like, yeah, you, you're trying to like look at and observe all these different things that are happening. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So flip that and talk about, you know, some of the things that you observe when you go see players play their matches and um, you know, uh, everybody you go see is probably fairly good. Right. And um they're playing at a certain well, level, and yeah. um, but uh, talk about not the not the uh, not the soccer yeah. differentiators, but the the other differentiators yeah. Um, oh, yeah. that you notice and pick up on, and um, are really important to you. Yeah, I love that you asked that question because yeah, body language is huge. Like the the thing I like to joke about with families is like it's often overlooked the fact that we also have to be with you for four years. Right? So like they're constantly assessing like, do I want to be with that coach for four years? Do I want to be at this school? Is it going to set me up for my future? Like we're, we're thinking the same thing. It's like, is this a kid I can have a conversation with, you know, for four years. But, um, so yeah, we're, we're looking at all that. Right. So, um, my kind of biggest advice is like, you do never know who's going to be watching because everything is live stream nowadays. Every single high school game is live streamed. Most of the showcases nowadays are recorded. So like, you know, you might think like, oh, I'm just showing it to my high school game. My coach is an idiot. He doesn't know anything, whatever. Like, you know, I got a yellow card. He doesn't matter. Yeah. I might be the high school game I chose to watch just to see what you're like in a different environment, right? So, right. Um, yeah, those intangibles of like what's your body language when the team gets scored on? Are you the guy lifting the team up? Are you the guy getting the, getting the ball out of the goal? Or are you dropping your head or yelling at someone? Like, what's your body language when you get subbed off? Are you yelling at your coach? Mm-hmm. Are you high-fiving your teammate coming on? Like, you know, all that stuff I do think is, is incredibly important. So, the other thing I'll say about it too is, you know, it's the common stat of it's like what you're on the ball for three minutes a game or something like that. Right. So mm-hmm. what are you doing the other 87 minutes? I, I think that's vastly important. So admittedly, I typically first notice a player because of what he does on the ball, but then from there, I'm going to try to watch that player for like 10 minutes straight. And I'm like, okay, what is his movement? Does he not touch the ball again in the next 10 minutes? Okay. He just had one good moment. Right. There's like all those advanceable things. that you are Right. Um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, I think it was last week I was talking to, have you met um, Alexi Coral over at UIC yet? Uh, yeah. And they were talking, I got. I need to introduce you guys. Um, but anyway, interesting guy. And they're just talking about, you know, they've had ups and downs this season. And they're just talking about how there are certain kids who just aren't hungry to win. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, you know, I, I get to wondering, you know, these kids play all these showcases and it's all about recruiting and everything. And, and have they have they lost like the art of winning, so to speak, and, and the hunger to win? And um, I'm sure that you look for that, you know, as you're recruiting, you know, it, does this kid really want to win or is he just more about 
looking good and and yeah. and looking you know trying to get recruited that sort of thing oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something we absolutely we absolutely look at. It's it's a great point. Um, and there are so many programs that go through it. Like I, I remember even having conversations. Like I started as a high school coach before I got into college coaching, and like the first high school I coached at was very affluent. So like you'd come up against a team of like I don't know, this is a generalization, but like all Hispanics that are on like you know lunch plans at their high school, and they would come in and they'd wipe the floor with you. And it's like yeah, they actually wanted it. I don't care that they don't play on your high level club team. Like soccer means everything to them. So. Yeah, I mean, that that is a thing at all levels. So very much something we look for with recruiting. And that's where, like, you could easily argue the higher levels, right? So, like, MLS Next, like, it is, like, it's, like, slow and it's very pretty and every team builds out the back and everyone plays very safe. And so, yeah, like, there are a lot of times you go to these club games and you're like, I'm not getting anything from this because the college game is so different. And that, for that reason, that is why every now and then I'll watch a high school game. It's like, if I know the kid's a good player, I've seen him at a showcase, it's like, all right, now I'm going to see how he's in high school where it's under the lights and the ref's terrible and he has to be the star. And like, you know, it just show you, it does show you like how much does this kid actually care, right? So that's something we'll, we'll talk to recruits about as well. Like I'll tell like a center back of like, hey man, I like you a lot as a player, but I've only seen you connect 10 yard passes. So like, I know your coach is possession based, but can you show me a long ball every now and then? Or, you know, if you're afraid you're going to get subbed off, I can try and talk to your coach. But um, right. it, it is something we've gotten in those conversations with players as well. You know, if your center mid is a big one, right, you're kind of looking at, you know, maybe a kid typically plays as an eight and you're expecting him to play more as a ten. And you're like, hey, man, can you make some runs forward? And they're like, my club coach tells me to hold every time. It's like that's yeah. our job to try to see, like, do they still have those qualities that we need in our time, mm-hmm. right, which – that that's a point in and of itself again like a kid might have their dream school like if i already have five goalkeepers on my roster and not a single one's graduating and you're a 2025 20, 20 excuse me 2025 goalkeeper you know i might i'm not going to waste your time even though you should because you're you're perfect fit so you know all that stuff is is taken into consideration and that's why again i go back to if school really wants you and it's send you the personalized email you're going to want to entertain that versus like again this team doesn't need a left back, but hey, it's my dream school. So let me just go sit the bench for four years. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else like uh, behavior wise that you see that um, can be a turn on, turn off, you know, moments for you when you're, when you're watching kids play? Um, I'm going through my, my cheat sheet again. I mean, I think we mostly talked about it. Soccer nowadays is very, very or I guess soccer, at least in the U.S., is very focused on transition moments now, right? It's so funny. Like, I joke about this with my staff all the time. We spend so much time working on, like, set attacks and set defense, and, like, it's never the game. Like, every goal nowadays is scored within, like, seven seconds of winning the ball and all that stuff. But So I do think those moments are incredibly important, right? So, again, it's like, is a player really safe? Is every time he wins the ball, does he play back to his center backs or – you know, every time he loses the ball is his first reaction just to drop his head, you know, like everyone defends at the college level, right? And so at the club every now and then you still get a striker who just kind of sits up there and poaches and doesn't do anything else. I mean, maybe some school will take a chance on you, but I'm definitely not going to. So, yeah, I think, yeah, your your reactions, you know, on and off the ball for sure are important as well. Yeah, cool. Um, we're coming up on an hour here, so I want to make want to be respectful of your time. But uh <laughs> You know, anything else to add that uh, that I missed or that we didn't get to talk about? Um, I guess just to try to summarize it, like we, we've talked about it a lot in different ways, but like it is your four-year experience, right? So like that, 
that's what I'd almost like challenge kids the most with. So like, even if you're not picking my school, like I'm not one to like pressure kids. I'm not going to pressure you to choose, choose my program. Like it does need to be the right fit. Otherwise you are going to be looking at transfer and then we're all miserable. So like you do need to sincerely think about like, do I want warm weather, cold weather? Do I want to be close to family far? Do I want, do I want a big school that offers college football? Cause I want that experience. You know, do I want to potentially join a frat? Is study abroad really important to me? Do I have to, work a job to pay my way through school like all that stuff will determine what school is is the right fit what coach is the right fit you know even what level again like if you're really interested in study abroad and you have to work to pay your way a d3 level might be a better fit for you than d1 right so um i do think like if a kid is able to come up with that checklist and, and certainly there should be some wiggle room right again if a coach really loves you and you can be surprised by the school great but It'll just like kind of save you a lot of time, right? If you already know some of that stuff about yourself. Um, and again, it's the same thing for us. It's the reason I say like we bring up the price tag early in the conversation. It's like, why would you go through a six month process and then be like, coach, I really appreciate it, but I never really wanted to go far from home. It's like, you know, save yourself that stress as well. So, you know, if, again, there's 1200 programs. So if you can come up with like your five most important things, look up all the schools that fit that description, right? You might have a list of 50 schools boom, now I'm emailing those 50 schools once a month with my updated highlight video and hopefully one of them works out for you. Yeah, and make sure you customize those emails. Don't just, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, uh, I've heard on this uh, on this podcast, people getting, you know, emails sent to the wrong people and uh, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a bad move. So the, I, bad I, I, mentioned, I mentioned the times that I don't respond to an email, that, that it's depending on my mood if i'm in a good mood i might respond to be like hey this is actually coach croft like because a right. lot of times they they the name is wrong but the rest of the information is right they'll be talking about you chicago but they'll say like yeah coach coach scott and it's like i'm not <laughs> scott but okay so if i'm in, if i'm not in a good mood i don't know if i'm gonna respond to that email yeah yeah i mean you they, you guys get so many emails you can't like be the reason why you can't have a a clerical error be the reason you don't get a get a shot with the school. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, anything else? I think that's it, man. Definitely appreciate you having me on. Hopefully, it was somewhat insightful for someone. Uh, absolutely, um, you, it was great. Um, I really appreciate it. Hold on, one sec.